Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. This is Chris Richards and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Welcome to Ranks FC, your favourite football podcast. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And joining me as ever, Mr Sam Ty. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Sam and Mr Dean Jones. Hello, my friends. How are we? Good, good. I'm tired. It's a good day. I'm super tired. Are you? I had a really good sleep. I'm, me I'm too, actually... me too. I was in bed by 10. I watched yeah. Lord of the Rings 1 extended cut, four hours. I know what's to, coming here. I know what's coming sleep. here. He's going to moan about this Amazon delivery, isn't he? Yeah. Everyone needs to know that this morning at 7.52am, Amazon delivered a parcel. Now, I have a three-storey house, so I had to go down two flights of stairs. To right. get oh, it's to no. show off. So, honestly. So, I opened the window Great. and Couldn't shouted. Couldn't the gatekeeper collect it? Well, no, that's the, the gatekeeper's on holiday. <laughs> I, I opened the window and shouted down, just leave it on the doorstep. It's the first words I'd said that morning. And it was alcohol, so we had to provide ID. So, Rach, sadly, had to go down the two flights of stairs and collect it while I went back to bed. So, I, I am exhausted. You didn't even get up? No, but it did wake me up. Oh my God, you you live a blessed life. Honestly, I, I, I can't wait till you have kids. Sam, Sam, Sam fifty-two. I've been up two hours. <laughs> He's I already watched five episodes of Peppa Pig at that yeah, point. Like, I hadn't actually. Today I just gave Dylan uh, my phone at 6.45am and laid next to him for 45 minutes while he just watched back to back to back Paw Patrol. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's it. Fair play to him. Um, <laughs> let's crack on with the show. Let's we? we talk on. about some football. Yeah, we weren't gonna we weren't gonna do things we love, but we're actually gonna put it on hold because there's actually so much to get through, Sam. And you're gonna just basically go straight into ranking all 16 Champions League last 16 contenders for us. Yeah, be delighted to. Um, round of 16 draw was made on Monday. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, you guys are still interested in it come Wednesday when this is released. And I, first of all, I tried to put them together with some semblance of kind of like, you know, rank the teams 1 to 16. Yes, on strength, but also, you know, with regard, with an eye on who can win the, win the trophy. But there's still so much to go. There's still so many unknowns that I have actually reverted back to. Well, how strong do these teams really feel? But importantly, it's kind of within a context of how strong are these teams in a Champions League context? Because ultimately, big game ability and an ability to beat big teams comes into play from here. Every game at this stage is ridiculously hard because the quality of the teams is so high. So what you'll find as I go through is, yeah, these teams are based on strength. But also, I'm trying to ask the question, can this team actually beat similar level teams can they beat their peers and some of them like genuinely feel weaker in that area and some of them feel stronger so they might have a bit of a boost but we'll see as we go along so I'll kick off with 16 and make jack absolutely furious it's porto it's just ridiculous ridiculous five five clean sheets in the group stage including one against manchester city you know how have you got them bottom of this list like but they've been no absolutely in the Champions League, I imagine. No, well, there's so no chance can... that about eight of these teams are going to win the Champions League. But Porto, I think, are in a better place and have a reasonably okay draw. Like, I know that sounds nuts to say that when Juventus are there, but Juventus haven't been great this season. I kind I'm of fancy you. an upset here. That's how hot I am on Porto. So I do think it, I, I do kind of agree with you that this draw has gone reasonably well for them, all things considered, which makes it slightly contradictory to maybe put them down in 16th. But I'd say that Porto are basically the weakest team on paper left in the tournament. And I know that they kept loads of clean sheets, but they played two games against the most anemic Marseille team I think I've ever seen in my entire life and two games against Olympiacos. So um I, I pay them I pay them respect for what they managed to do in the groups and get through into the knockout stages, but they're not a serious proposition at this point. The Juventus game is winnable, but in the sense that rather than they're absolutely doomed, I give them like a 25% chance. So they naturally just sink to the bottom of this list. I'm really sorry, dude. I, I think that, I mean, I'm assuming that the next two sides are going to be probably Gladbach and Lazio, and I would have Porto above both. Okay, well, it's my ranking. So Porto are last, and into 15. It is Lazio. Um, again, among one of the weakest teams, 
and they drew Bayern in the round of 16, which is an absolute nightmare. If they've got anything to call on here is that they are a bit of a cup team, aren't they? Um, last couple of years, Coppa Italia, Super Coppa, they've had some success and they do seem to be better in a knockout format. They seem to be able to get themselves up for these games. But can those personality traits really come into play when they have to play Bayern? Like, are they just going to get ditched immediately? And I fear the answer is probably yes. What would you give their chances of progressing past Bayern, Sam? Mm. Five percent. Yeah, that's quite lower. That's quite a lot lower than twenty-five percent. Sure, but did you listen to what I said about five minutes ago? How about how I took the mm, but what's the capacity to win the Champions League out of it and just measured them on strength, or were you doing a poem or something? Right, I was writing a poem. Yeah, and I I tend to tune out when, when, especially when you put Porto at the bottom of a list like this. I tend to tune out with most of your rankings because it's ridiculous. Yeah, I'd say Lazio are better on paper than Porto, but how about we call them tied fifteenth? because they're both going out. Into 14, I've put Sevilla. So solid and dependable, but I guess at some stage they are going to hit this concrete ceiling of talent. And I don't know. I don't know. I watch them and I just, you know, I'm a Sevilla fan, first and foremost, but um, maybe that hits me a little, kind of, no, not really. He He likes them because they don't like Betis and he likes winding me up, as we've noticed from the start of this episode. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I just, I'm a, Sevilla don't necessarily convince me. And again, when you put it in the context of these games are hard, man, these games are difficult. These are all big games at this point. I think this is where ultimately their ceiling shows up quite early. I'd say that they are, probably going to lose their round of 16 game. And talent-wise, again, they don't necessarily stack up to the teams towards the top of this list. But i got one question. Do you think they could beat Dortmund? I, they could I, actually I, get through, couldn't they? I, I would. They could, because this is quite quite evenly matched. But yeah. I, I make Dortmund slight favourites for this, mm. this match-up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think this is absolutely right. I kind of... I kind of fancy Sevilla to beat this weird crisis Dortmund side. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, if and it's, it's February, the games, I guess. Yeah, if they played, the if they played yeah. tomorrow, um, then I'd, I'd back Sevilla. But there's, uh, there's an awful lot to go here. Uh, mm. Awful lot of time. So yeah. much can change. I always pull back to this example of that time that PSG drew Man United in the round of 16. And at the time, United were an absolute free fall. Yeah. And PSG looked like they were on top of the world. So much happened between December and February that when it came round to it, actually, Man United were looking quite good and they won. So awful lot can change. And Dortmund are a, they're a conversation for a couple of ranks time. So we'll have that. But into 13, I've put Barcelona. Yeah. What? Well, they're not very good, are they? Well, they're better than some of the teams on this list in terms of Champions League pedigree as well. Like, I mean, they've, oh. got, they've got they've got previous Champions League pedigree, but I mean, you watch Barcelona now, and you're like, they're not they're not great guys. They they're, they're not inspiring anybody at this point, and they every big game they play, they lose. Like, you wouldn't every- have done this when we worked at Bleacher Report, mate. You wouldn't have been this brave back in those days. Well, no, but obviously I'm not, I'm not being paid by Bartomeu anymore. The checks, are, the checks, have, the checks have dried up. Like, I there's a, again, there's a lot of scope to change for this one. Messi enters the last six months of his deal. Maybe something happens there. Maybe there's a new president coming in in January. Maybe they've got room for some signings. I don't know how much cash they've got, but like they're not, they're not a good unit right now, are they? We can't really pretend that they are. And no. I can't pretend that I genuinely expect Barcelona to, for a start, beat PSG in the round of 16, but get the better of most of these teams over two legs because they're so dysfunctional, so Messi-centric, and yeah, not great. Mm. They're just not great, are they? Is there a value here to, to just turn back to, on paper, they're really good? Because you were you were talking about teams on paper a minute ago, and, mm. and, and we're looking at this squad and saying, you know, in terms of actual squad ability, this just seems right up there with you know the top teams in this list, never mind the bottom. Yes, mm. they're dysfunctional, but we've just talked about the fact that it's not about who they're facing. It's about it's about what they are in terms of strength compared to their competition. And we've talked about that Lazio side on paper, despite being not very good, are probably, you know, you just said are better than Porto on paper. They're not in real life. Um, and yet here Barcelona are in 13th. On paper, Barcelona are better than quite a lot of these sides. Well, there's a distinction to make with on paper in terms of player strength and like, well, Barcelona are like eighth in the league and they're ba- they're, they're crawling past teams. Like it's a, it's, an, it's, an, it's a feel for how good these teams are and it doesn't necessarily stack up to, oh yeah, well, they've got Messi and Griezmann so they're better than like most of these players or most of these teams on the list. Barca don't inspire me at all. Like I don't expect them to win against most of the teams in this list. So I can't put them particularly high. Mm, interesting. I mean, my, my take on it is that I had them... I drafted up a list just to go up against Sam to see what I would compare. And I had Barca at seventh. And mainly because if they do beat PSG, there's absolutely no reason they don't go on to win it. That's 
and also, you know, you think by that state, by February, if they can get rid of Kuman and actually get someone who can manage a football team, anything could happen. Um, yeah, I, I think it's very low, but I take I guess, your point. They probably I, will lose to PSG. And I mean, look, I, guess, I, I guess what bothers me is when you judge these teams in this in this Champions League context at the top level, basically every game that Barcelona have played against a relatively decent team that have got their shit mm. together, Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, Juventus recently, they've lost like quite convincingly. Yeah. I don't really have any faith in Barcelona's ability here to turn up when it matters against the caliber of this team. The only reason they're even this high, genuinely, is because they have Lionel Messi. Like, I just, I can't, I guess I can't emphasize enough how down I am on Barcelona right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess that's why the contrast between their Champions League form and, and their league form doesn't make much sense. Like, the, I've had a few people asking questions why is Barcelona so good in the Champions League, but not in La Liga? And it's like, mm, yeah, I wouldn't read too much into that, to be honest. Ferenc Varos and Dinamo Kiev. Exactly, right? yeah. I wouldn't really compare the two things, being top of the Champions League group and 13th in La Liga, wherever they've been. And doesn't yeah. really, it doesn't really compare at this stage. But yeah, interesting. Who's at 12, mate? Gladbach. Gladbach. Tough, yeah. tough. Yeah, I mean, it, the world's upside down, guys. Gladbach are ranked above Barcelona in the Champions League one to sixteen. <laughs> but I mean, look, a difficult opponent to play against. Um, they're hitting uncharted territory here, so I'd be interested to see how that actually affects them. I really hope they don't freeze like they did on match day six when it was kind of in the balance for them. But as a team, as a setup to play against top teams, like they've done really well to come out of that group, obviously. And as a counter-attacking force, they've probably got more scope to cause an upset than, than well, specifically for someone like Sevilla, who I think are just a bit more like solid and pragmatic. Was, yeah, whereas Gladbach, um, you know, Gladbach are, are thrilling and exciting and incisive. They've got an interesting round of 16 matchup with Man City. They're probably usually the sort of team that they would back to counter-attack and maybe get the better of a la Leon uh, over, the, over the summer. But City, as we know, and we'll come to later have really tightened up themselves and are looking to are looking to stodge their way through a lot of games themselves. But I've ended up with Gladbach in, in 12th. They're a little bit lower to start with, but I do wonder if maybe they're actually set up a little bit better than some of the other sides for those big games than to play against those big opponents. I, I don't know. We'll see. It's um, you say uncharted territory, but this is actually a matchup that they've uh, they've had a couple of times. It's um, I know in terms of you meant the the round of sixteen, but yeah. they've had City in the last two group stages, and uh, the Gladback the Gladback admin on Twitter who is extremely entertaining shall we say uh, yesterday posted a thing basically like looking to find new teams in the champions league and then the gladback bear being just hugged by a big city monster <laughs> it was like nope you're uh it does again boys sorry um but yeah no I, I think you're absolutely right it was in in a, in a different season in a different year i think that this would have been a real opportunity for gladback but given the way the city are playing it's a um it's a tough one so and they're used to them so it's not it's not exactly the uh the great unknown perhaps that city would have feared but that there's plenty of danger in this side they're a very very good unit marco rose as we talked about on monday's podcast is a very good manager mm, very much so yeah uh, dino thoughts on gladback um where have you got it's, them? 12th i had them in 10th i had them oh dino's um, even higher than me on gladback yeah no i did i mean there's just a lot of teams I don't fancy. I've actually got my twelfth is actually Chelsea. Um, Whoa, that feels well. Nice. Bit, I, 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 I think I looked at mine a bit differently to you. I don't think Chelsea can beat Atleti, to be honest. Um, I think so that's I, that's not that far off a, a sort of sixty forty game though in Atleti's favour. But yeah, but even if they did get past that, like Chelsea aren't Chelsea are not going to win the Champions League. This is going to haunt me, isn't it? Chelsea are not going <laughs> to win the Champions League this season. Just like Arsenal will never sign Nicolas Pepe. <laughs> oh jeez. Okay. Well, look, 12, 12 of Gladbach and eleven. This is my most volatile pick is Dortmund, and this is based on the fact that presumably it gets a bit better between now and February. But at the same time, as as, as implosive as they could be. They are also explosive in the right way. Like the youthful nature of this team means they could really rise to the challenge or they could cower away. On their day, they're better than Gladbach. They're better than Barca. They're better than Sevilla. When it's not their day, apparently they're absolutely god-awful. But, but <laughs> they've got the talent to win games against top sides here that some of the other teams that I've put below probably don't have. And the, the drawback is the inexperience and maybe the defensive fragility, which... Again, I'm kind of banking on Terzic. I mean, I've never seen him coach a game, but producing some kind of more cohesive and holistic um, 
game plan moving forward. But this is, I think this is a bit like Dortmund. If you'd put them, if Jack, if you put them sixth, and Dean, you put them 15th, I wouldn't bat an eyelid either way. I, yeah. I absolutely have no idea where these guys slot in because of the unknown nature of it. But I decided to put them in 11th. It's interesting that um, I saw a few quotes around Dortmund and talking about Terzic because people do find it strange because they've said he'll be in charge for the rest of the season. But Dortmund defend themselves and say, well, part of the reason he was set in as its assistant was because we always had this belief that if we had to change manager, he could actually step up and is perfectly capable of being our manager. And there was kind of a hint that Terzic might even end up being in charge beyond this season if he was to do well. I doubt that will happen. But we've seen with Hansi Flick, you never know how these things actually pan out. Um, ultimately, what will decide Dortmund's um, progress in this competition is whether Haaland's there because they rely so, so heavily on him now. Like, I didn't think it was that heavy until, like, there's been three or four games when he's not been there and they're just nothing like the same team. They just don't have anybody that can even pretend to be anything, play anything like the role that he plays. So, the, so everybody's just shifted around and, and trying to make make amends for his absence, if you like. And Jaden Sancho, I'm actually becoming quite concerned about his form, to be honest, because watching him again at the weekend against Stuttgart, this lad is just not not playing in the same way that we expected at all. And Man United have had a bit of a lucky break here if they're not paying 120 million euros for him, because honestly, they're not getting that kind of money for him in the next in the next windows if he carries on like this. He's not worth it. Like I'm, I'm not saying that he's not going to go on and fulfil his potential again, but at this moment in time, Jaden Sancho is not standing out at all. Yeah, he's having a bit of a blip. He's having a blip, yeah, and it will, it will be just that, I'm sure. But this is quite a long blip, I've got to say. It is his first blip, though, I think. He's allowed He's allowed one. He is, I think he's he allowed is. plenty of blips, to be honest. It'll be interesting. Maybe it was just how he was playing under Favre as well. Maybe it was his role that he was expected of him in that team because they haven't been particularly entertaining and like not playing the style of football he perhaps wanted to play. Um, so we'll see. I mean, this, this new guy, Terzic, says he's going to play on the front foot and every, all the rest of it and bring back the Jurgen Klopp days. So we'll see, shall we? I think also just a minor point here, not to make this into a Sancho conversation, but I think Sancho probably really, really misses Akraf Hakimi. And I saw, I definitely saw something coming in the form of a dip when when Hakimi was no longer going to be at Dortmund. I can't for one second believe that I thought his, his statistics would look as poor as they do. Mm. Uh, but there's a, there's some adaptation to be to to be made here. Like Jaden's Jaden's not playing in the same system in the same in the same dynamic as he was. And I don't know what's going on psychologically, man. Like you get linked to Man United for 120 million for six months and then it doesn't happen. I don't know what effect that has on a young man. No idea. He said so, none. He said none. Yeah, you would say that. You would say that. But I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh yeah, my head's gone. Uh, <laughs> that, that's why I'm playing badly. They they ruined me. Uh, I'll be back soon. See you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there we always have it. The blame right. someone else. Always, always blame, blame someone else. else. The Dean Jones method. Um, <laughs> Sam, what's next? Right, so we're into the top 10. Yeah. Uh, another tough one to judge here, which is Atalanta, who I've put in at number 10. They feel like they're, they're changing their skin a little bit midway through a season, which always leaves me a bit wary. Um, this is, again, a little bit of a volatile one. But um, yeah, since they got absolutely whacked by Liverpool 5-0, they've... They've kind of changed their system a little bit. They've, they've popped a midfielder in. Um, we're seeing much more of this Matteo Pessina guy, uh, a much more conservative midfielder at the expense of, uh, of a forward. And we've seen Alejandro Gomez apparently decide he wants to leave the club after a big argument with Gasparini. And this makes me very unsure about lots of things. I mean, not only is the club captain, but he's the heartbeat of the side. He's the DJ. You know, what, what effect does this genuinely have? I wonder if they actually have actually stumbled into a slightly more structured approach to Champions League football as a result of what happened against Liverpool. Because in the meantime, they've only gone and won at Anfield. They've won at Ajax. They've secured progression. Yes, the goals per game is down, as we discussed on Monday, but actually they look maybe more sensible as a team and they have just the right balance of of, of attacking prowess and, and strength through the middle. So I've got them in at 10. I like the round of 16 matchup with Madrid. It's a very interesting one. I'd shade Madrid, but this is this is Atalanta team feel. They still feel top 10 to me. How have you guys got them? Yeah, I, I like this. I think this is probably about right. I... I'm reasonably hot still on the Atalanta fairy tale, but it's but I, like you say, it's kind of losing its not spark because there's obviously something to be said for how pragmatic they needed to become to stop that you know flow of goals that they conceded against Liverpool. But equally, you know, you still think that there is enough talent in this side to see them winning games. I'm concerned, big concerned about that Papu 
uh, rift that's been being discussed. Uh, I yeah. do think that without Papu, that this is this is a team that will lose its way a little bit, lose its rudder, and and if that happens, then I would str- I struggle to see how they'd replace him effectively. You know, even with. Uh, Alexi Moranchuk coming in there and, and playing well to an extent. And I think that there is a room for him to to be in this side, but I don't think he's going to step up and take that kind of emotional burden as much as the the creative one. Mm. And and I think that that's a real, real worry. So I, I liked this matchup uh, when it came out, but I'm also very concerned about what this Papu, you know, rumour means for, for January and beyond. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think last year was Atalanta's like big one, wasn't it? And now it's like, yeah... No, I've got them 15th. I, I don't think they've got a chance in the Champions League. Fifth, that's 15th. 15th, no 15th. Absolutely no chance. Yeah, it's too inconsistent. Enough. You just look at their results. It's like win, draw, loss, win, draw, draw, loss, win, draw, loss, win, draw, loss. It's literally that. That's the pattern of their season. Like, wow. It's not Champions League winning form. You don't and need a, do a draw. You don't need a Dean Jones algorithm to forecast that one. I'm very good at algorithms. Anyone that listens to Patreon will know. Well, they won't know because they PSG didn't draw. But anyway, into number nine. I've gone for Juventus in number nine. Now, you know I'm not that big on Juve. And they've had a, they've strung a couple of wins together recently, but you just scratch a tiny bit closer. And it's, you know, two of the bottom three in Serie A and Dinamo Kiev. So you have to do a bit more to convince me. And yeah, Juve obviously have the talent to to threaten to win this competition, clearly. Um, but nothing I've seen over the course of the season from Pirlo so far has been enough to make me really genuinely consider them as a top five or top seven prospect. And ultimately, once you get to basically just above Juve here at Chelsea, which is number eight, that's where I start to get a little bit more serious about this. And this is the distinction. I I think if Juve continue as they are, I'm a little bit concerned that they'll be disappointed. Well, I'm not concerned. I don't care. They'll be disappointed again. Um, but yeah, I don't, how do you guys feel about Juve? Dean's going to be getting an angry call from Mr. Agnelli about how low you've ranked his side. Um, and, you know, Obviously you talked about your Bartomeu paychecks drying up. Well, geez, I think you might be ruining Dean's Agnelli one. So, oh, don't um... worry, I've got them in six. So don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, they're still there for me. Um... I think if they play again, like they did against Barcelona, they, they can be anyone, right? This is, I know we put Barcelona low for a reason and Barcelona weren't great, but, but Juventus were excellent that day. And, and they you know, showed a little bit of that glimpse of what you can do if this talent does click. And yeah, I agree with you that I think the the recent victories are a little bit hollow in that who they're beating. And we talked about this in terms of Barcelona a couple of weeks back and, you know, them beating Osasuna and, and the teams around them to be, be you know, and, and take it all with a pinch of salt. I think we're absolutely right, you know, to to look at these things lightly. And and, and you're the same with, with Juventus, but they are starting to find a little bit of rhythm. I would have probably had them slightly higher than this, I think, Sam. Yeah, I think it, what we don't know yet is like Pirlo, what out of Italy is like Pirlo's really now starting to work on having an attack-minded team, right? So they're going to put emphasis on attack and try and get... For as many games as possible, Ronaldo, Morata, and Dybala are all on the pitch together. Um, and then they'll have Chiesa and Kulusevski and Bernadeschi around them as that, that fourth attacker. Um, and then the other two to come in around that. And I think that there were signs in the Genoa game. Obviously, Dybala gets a goal that he absolutely was desperate for. And having Dybala and Ronaldo on the pitch at the same time is going to be key. I mean, they haven't had it as many games as they would have wanted under Perlo. And if Dybala can fix his mental fragility, which I think has been holding him back, then absolutely, like, Juve could be unlocked. I don't think they're going to have what it takes to to win it. I'm not going to go as bold as I did when, when Sarri was there. But I do think that they're starting to find patterns of play that are going to improve with time. And I think another player that is really, really important and becoming more important is Weston McKennie. And the role that he's playing in this team is really interesting. And I, I saw I saw him described, actually, in the Italian press as a space invader because they're talking about how he, like... <laughs> He, he has these spaces that he bursts into. So he plays, he'll drop quite deep and you'll think he's playing this defensive role, but they want him to be an attacking midfielder. But rather than start him up there, he kind of forces his way into these attacking spaces and makes things happen. And we saw like, obviously the amazing, the amazing overhead he scored and things like that. 
And McKenney's becoming a key part of what Juve are building, not just a bit part player that's just there to sell a few shirts in America, which is really, really good because he's better than, than just being a man that's there to sell shirts, obviously. He's also um, now got football's best nickname, hasn't he? He's uh, Buffon has caught causing Big Mac every morning. Oh, does he? I didn't see that. <laughs> Space Invader and Big Mac. My guy's out here taking 90s feed inside nicknames. No. Guy. But yeah, Fantastic. so I, I, as I say, I had, I had Juve at six. I, I don't think they're probably going to quite have enough, but I do expect this team to, to grow in the second half of the season. Yeah, so do I. All right, Sam, who have you got ahead of them? You Chelsea at eight, you say? Chelsea at eight, yeah. Um, I think if you're picking like a genuine... I don't, almost don't want to say it, but like... The defensive solidity that they've managed to show. I mean, obviously they play tonight and this episode comes out on the Wednesday. So let's see what happened against Wolves. But typically speaking, the solidity they've shown um, and the calmness at the back that's found that Thiago Silva and Eduard Mendy have, have brought, tally with the fact that they now have just like a ridiculously talented and pretty deep squad. I kind of want to say the word dark horse. Or is that two words? I kind of say one of the, the, the words dark horses because... <laughs> I don't think it will happen, but like if I had to pick one that's like a not obvious team that could that could basically string string a result, run of results together, and they would have to have it all their own way, really have to fall for them. I think it would be Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, uh, it, it kind of pains me to say it, but you're right. And and mm. I think the thing is that at the moment we're seeing Chelsea struggle a little bit with you know like the lack of wingers as we spoke about, and the fact that they, they haven't quite got the balance of this side right at the moment. It feels a little bit off and. Things aren't quite right and Lampard isn't quite responding to where we we thought he was going to go in terms of, you know, maybe maybe the answer at the moment when he doesn't have the wingers to call upon is to go to that diamond, to go to a 3-5-2, to, to work out some other solutions to, to providing width that don't involve chucking Kai Havertz out on a wing where he's just aggressively uncomfortable. But, you know, also... Those players may well be back by the time this comes around in February. The, you know, you might get a, a run of of seeing a lot of players hit fitness or hit peak fitness and a little bit of gel at the same time. I, yeah, I like this. I, I think that you arguably have them a bit low. Um, if, if if I'm honest, I think that they dark horses is probably not what you'd call a side who have spent the amount of money that Chelsea have spent this summer. <laughs> Um, in my opinion, but I, I think that there is something to be said for the fact that this side, especially in one-off games, I think can probably do anyone. And ultimately, over the course of these next you know, set of fixtures in this competition, we will see exactly what they're capable of. And and I think it'll be a, a serious test of, of Lampard's metal as a manager as well. Yes, it will do. I mean, Chelsea have had problems with the knockout stages, haven't they? The Champions League over the last like five, five years, maybe like when they got knocked out by coincidentally Atletico Madrid back in 2014 in the semi-finals. They've pretty much been a non-factor ever since then. So um, there's, we've, we've actually missed Chelsea really impacting this stage of the competition, of Europe's biggest competition, for quite a while. So in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm, something, something always says to me, like, no, like Chelsea don't belong here, but that's just because we haven't seen it for a while. But, you know, this feels like, you know, the big summer spend, the talent acquisition, this feels like it could be the turning and the changing of something. So, yeah. Worth, eighth... worth pointing out that it is Atletico, right? It is, the, it is a yeah. very, very difficult tie against a very, very good Atleti team who lead La Liga for a reason and who this year have shown signs that they are finally coming into their own. Yes, they lost at the weekend, but ultimately we're seeing a team that, that is pretty much starting to find its groove and... I imagine that's a reason they're a little bit lower down this list because they have a really, really tough tie here. You know, you wouldn't make them... It's hard to put teams who you don't make favourites for their for their tie into the top eight of this, right? And and that's that's probably why they are where they are. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I've put Atletico in seven and so I've put them seven, eight back to back and I don't know if that's just subconsciously me being like, well, this is a really, really tight game between these two sides. They're both good. If yeah, whoever progresses will rightly think that they have a chance, an outside chance of winning the Champions League. And I thought Atletico seventh because, well, I think initially I had them like two or like second or third because their league form and their, the imperious nature of their performances has been so impressive. But there's a skew here to this ranking, which is always, as I said, within a co- Champions League context, like like it's, it's your ability to beat big teams is, is hugely important here because... With Atletico, we talked about on Monday, like if they just beat the Dross for the rest of the season, they could they could easily win the Liga title. There's no Dross here. It's only difficult games. It starts with Chelsea and it gets harder if you win. And Atletico in that big game 
scenario, they used to be the absolute ultimate giant killers. And I wonder if they've just just remodeled their squad ever so slightly to the point where they're actually slight the slight opposite. And I don't know if it was just that Real Madrid game at the weekend that, that shook my confidence in them in this kind of scenario, this big game scenario or what, but I've ended up holding them back outside the top five because of that. Yeah, it's reasonable. Dean, where do you have them? Atleti, I've got them second. Why? So that's kind of where I started with, and then I just dropped them down and down and down. So you're not worried at all about the big game thing? I, no, because I mean, I, 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 that was the one thing holding me back from putting them second. But ultimately, it came down to just that that Simeone factor, and his, I just trust him. And the fact that Jao Felix has come through so big and was so angry the other day, mm. when in the Real Madrid game, obviously, like Simeone decided to not play Suarez and Felix in the late stages of the game when they were they were chasing it, and Felix was so angry, and I was so pleased to see that, like he kicked a chair or whatever he did. Um, that's what we want to see. Felix has been unbelievable this season. And this is his time that he's, he's starting to show that he's actually going to be the superstar we predicted. And it's the Champions League is his stage. And I think that we will see him step up in some of these matches and make the difference. And I, I really do feel that Atleti are the full package. The, the problem I would have is the fact that they obviously really want to win La Liga. And to win Champions League and La Liga might be a bit beyond them. But I think in terms of like what we've seen so far this season, squad depth, uh, strong starting eleven, Atleti tick a lot of boxes for me. Um, and in a season that has been ridiculous and so hard to predict, they are one of the teams that are actually pretty reliable and they, it's so hard to score against, unless it's that Bayern Munich 4-0 game, um, that I, yeah, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, they're just not passing those big game tests for me. That's what that's ended up. What's it's the yeah. Bayern Munich four 0 It's the Real Madrid two 0 I just, I just, I just, I, I worry about this. I think there is something to consider in that we haven't yet got to the point that the Diego Costa factor might return at some point. And you know, mm. and a Diego Costa coming back into this side. You know, obviously a while back we spoke about this new look Rohi Blancos unleashed and it was that Suarez, Costa, Felix behind them. And it was like, they won six nil, I think, or six one in the league. And we were like, Oh my God, what is this Atleti? Where have they come from? And we haven't really seen Costa in the side since then. We've seen, you know, glimpses of, of what they can do in an attacking sense, obviously, but we haven't seen them kind of unleashed in that format again. And I am intrigued as to if, Diego Costa and when Diego Costa returns to a full clean bill of health you know will we see that two up front Suarez and Costa with Felix behind them because that is terrifying if it is that is <laughs> yeah. a terrifying trio Costa's in the lab uh, refueling and rearming ahead of this game he's probably yeah. just going to stay in the lab in his in, in the purple goo just to make it with the with the bionic arm being equipped to make sure <laughs> that he's all right for this game because he will be so pumped for this fixture won't he Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely he's um yeah well against his old club the Diego Costa derby the Felipe Luis derby the um mm. there's there's lots going on the here, Ti- is it Tiago is it the same Tiago that played for Chelsea at some point yeah Portuguese Tiago yeah Portuguese yeah. Tiago so yeah. there's the big it's the big one uh in at six guys I've gone for PSG and you know I'm down on PSG as well this year and uh the weekend's result only only really confirms that I've basically put them here because they have Neymar and Mbappe and those are two of the five best players in the world, in my opinion. And Neymar has shown um, through the June-July knockout stages last season and through the group stage this season that if he decides that PSG are going to win the game, well, they're going to win the game. And uh, it's basically up to him. And, you know, he's almost in a bet with himself here. He's almost trying to prove himself correct with the decision he made to join PSG. And he's, the desperation is starting to show. And... I guess I'm just willing to back that horse. You know, PSG as a team, um, some of their parts, definitely weaker than Atletico Madrid, definitely weaker than Chelsea overall and Juventus probably as well, that they're all ranked below because they have these two shining stars who are capable of just deciding games. And I've basically come to the conclusion that sixth is about right for such a lopsided entity. They're a strange breed this year, aren't they, PSG? Mm. And we looked at the signings in the summer and we thought, yeah, 
pretty good. You know, okay. we were we were we were happy enough in terms of we thought Danilo was a was a good addition there. He's mostly played at centre back, which hasn't helped. I don't him. like this. I don't like this at all. And I checked with my Portuguese neighbour who supports Porto. Did Danilo Pereira ever play centre back for no, you? He, he was like he was like no, I don't remember. Like maybe like forty five minutes or fifteen minutes once when there was a red card and he had to. And but very frequently we're seeing Marquinhos play centre mids with Danilo back at centre-back. It's like Marquinhos goes and plays centre-back for Brazil. It's not like he's forgotten how to do it. I really, I struggled to get my, my head around this one. It's a strange one, isn't it? It's a, like one of those weird things that you're looking at and thinking, how are they, how are they in this position? And I guess what we'll learn in, in January is how they plan on, on fixing that long term, right? It's it's not one of those things that you can you can right now you could be like okay they've got a bit of injury issues there there are things that aren't quite right at PSG and Danilo is playing there not necessarily out of necessity as you make the point with Marquinhos but they're quite happy with him in CDM they expect that to be his position and maybe they're just like we're just holding out until January we can pick someone up and and get on with this but I think in January we'll see if that's the that's the status quo or is this something they're planning on doing long term? Yeah, I mean. Barcelona PSG is obviously one of the big games to, to look out for in Feb, but ultimately, I just don't have much faith in PSG actually going on to win it. I had them at fifth, um, all the which same, is, which is which is which one is of higher me. faith than Sam has <laughs> to win it. Yeah, but it's it's not real, you know. It's, it's not real. <laughs> generally, like we're all going to have similar top sixes, and do you know the genuine travesty of this is that uh, the first match day is a clash between Barcelona PSG. And Leipzig, Liverpool, they're all at the same time on the same day. And that mm. is an absolute modern tragedy. It's a dual screener. Mm. Let's put it that way. Mm. I think it's a watch one and then watch the other straight afterwards on record. For me, I can't dual screen. I'm not like you, Jack. Sam's never learned the tricks of the trade, the dual screening tricks of the trade. Yeah, but when you do that, Sam, the score comes up on the screen. How do you avoid that? I can't avoid the score. I just want to watch the game. All oh, right. It, I mean, if it was nil-nil, a game like that, if you already know the score, I find it much harder. I mean, it is difficult, but dual screening is even harder. During the World Cup, I don't know how Jack did it. I tried to watch Morocco versus Spain and Iran versus Portugal dual screen on like 40-inch TVs as well, not just like on a little phone. And I just found it impossible to take in any information from either game. Yeah, I mean, you're watching it in a different way, aren't you, when you're watching the football like that? It's a, yeah. it's a trick you have. It's, it's one of those things I think you're only forced to pick up. If you don't learn it unless you're forced to pick it up. I was forced to pick it up when I used to do live comms. So, like, you had to watch two games at the same time and basically do live comms on both and in terms of text commentary. And therefore, you have to kind of learn how to do it. But... Yeah, I would yeah. imagine it's not something that people pick up regularly to be like, oh, yeah, Sal, that'd be easy um, because it's not. Well, yeah. sounds like our first Patreon workshop available to patrons for the low, low price of $30 a month. Led by Jack Collins. Well, $100. $100 a month. $100 a month. How to watch. Screen no, mate, games. a signed photo of me is $30. You can't <laughs> have a workshop for the same price. <laughs> uh, that brings us nicely, Sam, into, into top top five. It's top five time. Okay, so three big results recently definitely help this stock. But Real Madrid, big occasion, big game. Real Madrid are checking in. Last two years have not been good enough. I appreciate that. And they'll obviously want to make up for it. And if the spine of this team is healthy, Courtois, Ramos, Casemiro, Kroos, Benzema, add Modric in if he sparkles. And if Hazard's around, if he fancies kicking a ball about for a bit. I wouldn't bank in it. Yeah. Wouldn't bank on it. Just put him in at the end as an addendum. He's a bonus feature. But this this team, the way they're built, this snarly midfield, this this horrible gritty approach, this really hardened spine. I mean, look, it's probably not good enough to win La Liga. But on this kind of one and done knockout fever style t- uh, tournament that you were talking about earlier, Jack, I still kind of back them because they've definitely got that that. That, that that ability to get a result when they really need it. They've got a nice, like, winnable round of 16 game. And if they get into the last day, I just wonder, like, will something in the back of their minds just click into gear and go, ha, I know this game. Yeah, this is, this is something we're a little bit used to, eh? Yeah, yeah. And this team, uh, unlike Atletico Madrid, I would say, when we draw the parallel here, Madrid are fifth and Atletico are seventh. Real Madrid are built to beat the big and elite teams, I think, whereas Atletico maybe aren't so. So that has that has factored into this ranking. The, con- the context of the Champions League is important, and I've put them in at fifth. Uh, maybe I wouldn't have done it if we'd have done this ranking two weeks ago, maybe. But uh, recency bias, are. or if it's just a hark back to what they were three years ago, I don't know. But 
they feel like they can do it. Yeah. It's, it's hard to write them off, as Dean once said famously in a hit before writing them off. Um, but it is hard <laughs> to write them off. It's just so unpredictable. I mean, this this team can lose to Alaves, they can lose to Shakhtar Donetsk, but they can also beat Sevilla, Gladbach and Atleti in the same week. Like, I don't know. We're going to have to wait until we get to February to have any idea what kind of form they might be showing around that time because they are their own worst enemy. And ultimately, as we've said on various occasions, this team tends to stand up and play when Zidane really, really needs it. And I don't think Zidane's going anywhere. So I think that these players might give him another Champions League. I definitely think it's possible. I think it's worth... It's worth pointing out that I'm not sure if form matters here. What mm. I think matters is health. Like if, if Ramos is missing, they're in trouble. If Casemiro is missing, they're in trouble. Although Fede Valverde is returning. No, but form Rose does matter because if they're in bad form, they will win. then have good form in the Champions League. <laughs> they'll have to win the games to kick the down in his job. Right, wrong. What, right. What La Liga games have they got in February? Hopefully, it's against <laughs> Granada and Betis. You know. Yeah, they'll <laughs> lose those two, and then they'll definitely win these ones. Um, All right. Well, into four, yeah. and this, this, this—they're boring me to death, boys. But I put Man City in at number four. Um, they have not convinced in the Premier League this season, not even close. But they have been pretty solid and fairly convincing, I'd say, in the Champions League. They've been at least 10% more free and Ferran Torres apparently only scores on Euro, uh, on European nights and that that's enough to get them through a, a group in top spot. Um, there's always this conversation at this stage of the competition for Man City about Pep Guardiola and whether or not he's overthinking things. At the very least, if he tightens up for the Champions League, you won't be able to accuse him of doing it specifically for that competition because he's done it everywhere since the first game of the season. They have not conceded a goal in what feels like about a year. Um, I think the official tally is six games. But they do <laughs> they do play West Brom tonight uh, before this goes out. So I expect that to be seven. Um, look, if this is if now, this is now as I'm reading this, I'm literally watching Mateus Pereira one minute, like straight, you know, straight away. Yeah. This is one nil, one nil West Brom. Can't be is him because he is he is suspended. Uh, so your vision, your vision was off. Vision's out. <laughs> um, My gifts out. Yeah, I, I think um, City you always feel like a bit of a boring pick here because you don't you've really struggled to have the faith that they could actually win the competition. But they have to be in that top five because of the talent level, and. Yeah, I don't know if 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 the fact that Pep has just completely tightened up is pressing less and is is moved to a much more solid midfield with often you know Rodri and Fernandinho or Rodri and Gundogan as a pivot. Maybe this is a all a pretense to not being accused of overthinking things when he does it in the Champions League. He's playing the long game, six months of dreary football, clean sheets, and then you can't accuse him of doing it uh, for the for the knockout stages. Yeah, I think this is, like you say, you know, one of those things where you could imagine that it might well work in the Champions League because it is about being tight. It is about grinding out results. We've seen Atleti do this all the way to the final, and this City team is undoubtedly in possession of more attacking talent than that Atleti team were and able to win games. You know, it very much is a side. Yes, they're not setting the world on fire right now. And by God, they were dreary in the Manchester derby. It was like, they were like, oh, we're a little bit worried about Man United. And United were like, oh, don't think we're good enough to beat this City team. So everybody just played at one <laughs> mile an hour for the entire game. Oh God, it was think, so bad. I do think that there is an element of this, which is you know, Pep thinking, okay, how do we adapt this side for for a campaign where we're not necessarily with without without our, our top scorer, without our kind of talisman up top, and we're we're lacking kind of a, a way to win games. We're like, well, if you don't win games, don't lose them. And at the moment, City are very much not doing that. And it's it's one of those things that you you look at them and go, okay, that that might work. If if that works, then and and across the course of a of a Champions League campaign, if they can keep that up. I think it's hard to to say that they won't be in contention. Mm. Yeah, I just I guess it'll come down to you know is Sterling finding his form in the second half of the season and is Aguero managing to put games together and remain clear of injuries, which he hasn't done so far this season. He's only started three games, I think, so far across the Champions League and the Premier League. Is it um, even three? That sounds like a lot. Yeah, I know he has though. Um, <laughs> yeah, three. Porto, right, the first group game. Started against Arsenal and he West, started West Ham. West Ham, yeah. So and he only played forty five minutes against West Ham and then obviously got injured. So um, he's had knee and hamstring problems. Uh, it's not looking particularly good, especially when you're thirty two and 
you, there's no time to recover from these things with the schedule that you've got this season. Obviously, he's trying to protect Aguero. He did play the other day, but I'm not sure he's going to be rushing him back into the starting lineup. And to be fair, probably is best just leaving him out and you know easing him back in in the second half of the season because this is when they're going to need him and this will decide whether they can actually win the Champions League. They miss Aguero so, so much. And so does Raheem Sterling. We've talked before about how Sterling is not the player that you can depend on. He is a very, very good player. And when Aguero's there and they have their first choice lineup, Sterling can thrive. But he is not the man that you turn to in moments of, of desperation when you really need a goal. Sterling's probably not going to deliver it, but Aguero will. And um, obviously they're having to start to look for, for a new central figure to this team for next season because they've seen that Gabby Jesus can't do it. I mean... Ferran Torres hasn't done too bad at it, but ultimately it's probably not his biggest strength to play the Aguero role. Um, so let's see where we're at. I mean, I actually had City quite low, to be honest. I had them at eighth just because of this, this issue that I've got with can I really depend on them? Yes, they won't concede goals, but you know, is anyone going to finish these chances that De Bruyne is teeing up? We've not really seen it so far. At some point, though, surely someone has to start so, finishing chances. You'd assume. Think so, yeah. But, um, but yeah, you're Ma- right. Man City, looking, uh, Man City looking a bit more like Atletico Madrid. Atletico Madrid looking <laughs> yeah. a bit more like Man City. Look where, it, <laughs> look where it's gotten. And, and, yeah, thus, and thus we end 2020. Sam, what's the top three? <laughs> right, so we're at three. Uh, have you guys? Do you guys? Are you checking? Are you clocking the the last three teams remaining? Yeah, and you're aware. Left. Yeah. So in at three, I have put Leipzig. And this is a huge call. Huge. I had Leipzig at thirteen. My God. Right. So maybe it is the Red Bull talking, but Leipzig are <laughs> su- They are such a good side, and having reached the Champions League semi-finals last season, you've got the pedigree argument, and having recently matched and drawn with Bayern Munich and shown such electric capability in certain games, I know there was a 5-0 implosion somewhere down the line, but my God, when they click, it's unlike most other things that you see in football right now. It has led to me putting them very high in this list, and I did. I checked it a couple of times. I thought that's definitely wrong. There's no way they should be there in third, but I looked down, I thought, no, pedigree, bottle, talent, manager, four ticks, and here we are. I mean, Mm. it surprises me even now as I speak, but Leipzig, I think, are an incredibly good team. I think it's mental that one of your three, one of your top three is 100% going to be out by the round of the quarterfinals. It sucks. It sucks, to be honest with you. I think because I'll, I'll, I'll say it now, I've got Liverpool in second. We've got second versus third seed in the round of 16, which is a real shame. And I, I genuinely consider this to be a, a 50-50 battle. Um, it's two teams who don't really tend to lose games when it matters. And you know, Liverpool, I'm presuming they have a defensive line of some description in February, even if it's just Matip and Fabinho. But I think what we've seen from Matip and Fabinho is typically that it's it's quite it's quite good um, for the most part. Not good enough to keep out Bobby Reed. Not good (laughs) enough to keep out Bobby Decordover Reed screamers, absolute screamers. But Liverpool, they have the look. We we can keep this one a little bit short because they we we know what they are. They are the the mentality monsters. They have this this winning gene. They do tend to they do tend to show up on the occasions in which they have to win. Like. It's very rare that Liverpool lose a game at this point. Very, very rare. And it's very rare that they don't win a game that they absolutely have to win. And I think you class a Champions League game as a must-win game. So Liverpool-Leipzig is an incredible tussle. And I'm really annoyed that it clashes with PSG-Barcelona on that first night. But I think PSG-Barca will be relegated because this is this is one hell of a this game. This is the game, isn't it? I think this and Atleti-Chelsea are probably the games for me in, yeah. in the round of 16. And... It's an interesting one. I like the problem with Leipzig and the reason I have them a little bit lower than this is because there is that kind of threat of implosion and it comes around like a little bit more often than I'd like. Um, And I think you're right when they when they they have shown up and when they did play, you know, against Bayern at the weekend, they were absolutely phenomenal. And that that two all draw was exhilarating. Three all three all three all draw was exhilarating, uh, uh, you know, to to use it to coin a phrase. But it was it was one of those really strange things where, you know, I'm worried that you could see a Leipzig that go toe to toe with Liverpool first leg that maybe edge it, win that game three, two or something. And in the second leg, Leipzig just implode. 
And I that concerns me. And that's why I have them lower down. I just think there is that like ability to just fall apart. And it's not something we've seen majorly, but I think that there is enough history of it in in games that we've seen and you know that united game where they actually played quite well and still lost five nil you're a bit like that's not a great sign and i know that's rare and i know i'm not suggesting that's going to be the you know the thing that defines this season or this campaign but it does scare me a little bit from a leipzig perspective what might benefit leipzig i mean there's no timo Werner there now there's no navi Keita. there's not that star star name that everybody's just going to be talking about in the build-up, I don't think. What will probably actually help them is the togetherness that they've got in this team and the fact that everybody does their job so well. And then all the focus is going to come around Nagelsmann against Klopp. Yeah, That's going to be like, obviously Nagelsmann is talked about as potentially the man that takes over from Klopp. You know, one day, it's probably Gerrard. And if they don't go for Steven Gerrard, there's a very good chance it'll be Nagelsmann. And the two know each other really well. Um it's not quite master the apprentice, but it's it's not far off of that. You know, it's the guy that tipped to become the next to become the next Jurgen Klopp. And we saw what Leipzig were able to do in that second leg against United when you know they was they would have been so angry with the outcome of the first leg. But anyway, they put things right, and that was the real Leipzig. You know, the first time around, that was not the real Leipzig, and it was quite embarrassing that they were shown up on that stage because. I can't even imagine how it felt in that dressing room after to have lost to Man United to that scoreline and in that fashion because we haven't seen that all season. When you watch Leipzig, that's just not in their character. So they've bounced back from that now and I think that not only will they believe that they can really put up a fight in Bundesliga this season, but they could beat Liverpool. They could. They could. They've got the flexibility, they've got the manager, uh, they've got the player quality and they've got this rotating fluid front three, front four, which doesn't really have a target man anymore. Paulson seems to be, well, not exiled, but he's on the sidelines and he's kind of coming on for the last 25 minutes. They're using a rotation of players to basically just confuse the hell out of defences. It's it's Emil Forsberg dipping in as a false nine. It's Danny Olmo trying some time there. It's Kunku, he's off the flank. Oh, now he's in the middle. Now he's playing as a number eight. Oh, now he's back on the flank again. It's really interesting to watch. It's, It's been really hard for opponents to figure out. Maybe... In the time it takes from now until February to roll around, a solution to this may occur. But for now, teams are really, really struggling to get a handle on what Leipzig are doing in the attacking phase. And that fills me with quite a lot of confidence, clearly, because I put them in third. Do I regret that immediately? I don't know. Perhaps. I mean, I imagine that the fact that Liverpool are above them is testament. Do you think that they will probably just about edge this? Yes, yes, and it's a massive shame. But you know, if if uh, if it's a fifty-five forty-five split one way, it's 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 for Liverpool, and that leads us to number one. How boring is this? It's Bayern Munich. The incumbent um, holders hold the title. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, it's they're not perfect anymore. Sometimes they do draw games if they don't win it. Um, but it's very, very hard to retain the Champions League as much as Real Madrid would make you believe otherwise over the last five years. But it's very, very hard. So I'm always very wary of putting the holders top of a ranking like this. But I'm not looking at any other team, particularly in light of Liverpool's injuries, and saying, well, that's a clear contender. Because Bayern, I presume, only get better with Alfonso Davies and Joshua Kimmich returning from injury. That makes them that makes them stronger. It makes a big difference. I do wonder about the fact that they don't have a winter break coming up or it's a very shortened one. And this applies to Leipzig as well. This is an interesting conversation. It links back into City as well. You know that everyone is pressing less, except apparently, according to statistics, in the Premier League, every single team is pressing less except Aston Villa, who have doubled their press. But everybody else has dialed it back because it's just Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, relentless game weeks, three internationals, sometimes four thrown into a calendar week for some, somehow. And Bayern play an extremely intense high-pressing game. I think they'd use the winter break usually to recharge and refuel that, but they're not really going to get that opportunity. I think they get two weeks off and one of those weeks has to be training. Same applies to Leipzig. How hard can Bayern go in the way that they go right now throughout the season? Do they have to measure themselves? And do we, as a result, see Bayern like 1.5? Does Flick tone it back a bit? And what does Bayern 1.5 look like? So I can't even be sure, as I'm sure about everything I am in this list, I can't even be sure that Bayern are going to look like I think they will. And if you can't be sure of Bayern, what can you be sure of in this (laughs) mad world? Mm, indeed, indeed. But I've still got the number one. I think I think you have to. I think is, is the truth. And I think we'll all have them number one because it's Bayern Munich and they still feel like the best team in the world, despite the fact that they are not top. 
of their domestic league. And on that note, all, well, all top five leagues in terms of England, France, Spain, Italy, and Germany, plus Ajax in the Netherlands, are topped by teams currently in the Europa League, which is great That's news. Nice. Jack's for the Europa dream. League ultras, the UE ultras, um, are, are on on top of the moon. And I just wanted to quickly talk about this draw, the Europa League draw, because Sam, I mean, I'm with you in that. I think this the, the Champions League draw is good, but the Europa League draw is absolutely exceptional. Yep, it's, absolutely, um, just a brilliant matchup. I just wanted to talk quickly about three of my favourite ties in there. So um, I'll start with the you know, Real Sociedad versus Manchester United. David Silva against his old nemesis, but also Sociedad are top or Real Sociedad are top of La Liga and, you know, looking reasonably strong there as well. It's Atleti have a couple of games in hand, but they've had a, a little blip of late, La Real, and, and are, are not quite perhaps as, as imperious as they were at the start of the season, but there's still plenty to be excited about here. And, and them having a little blip, I think, is, is, is natural. And yet, here we are with a, an absolutely cracking game against a Man United who nobody knows what on earth is going to turn up when Man United play this, never mind in February. We don't know what Man United is going to turn up next week. So <laughs> it, it's kind of, it's a little bit over, over everywhere, but it's a game that I'm really looking forward to. And, and two others, that I'm really, really excited about. Lille versus Ajax. Oh, um, yeah. Obviously, both top of their respective leagues at the moment. And this is just an unbelievable clash. The Sven Botman derby, if, if, you, if you will. But also just, a, you know, an incredible matchup of two very, very strong sides who both will feel that they, they have a decent shot of winning this competition. And and yet one of them will be out in the round of 32. Uh, and I will finish with Salzburg against Villarreal, which is, again, just an, an incredible matchup of two sides that we love on this podcast and and two sides who who have a point to prove this year. And it looks like it's going to be one of those where, where Salzburg obviously will be upset not to have got through into the into the last 16 in the Champions League. But they were faced with an incredibly difficult group in Atleti and, and Bayern Munich. So. They'll, they'll be okay with this, I think. And they'll be like, yeah, this is an opportunity to show again that we are we are more than capable of, of performing in, in these big competitions, considering that their domestic league has, has fallen off a tad, shall we say, in terms of, of competitiveness. And so those are the three games I think I'll be, be looking out for. But in terms of who do you think is the, the three strongest sides of the, of the Europa League, Sam, I mean, I'd be, be interested to get yours, but I really, really fancy Napoli. Yeah, oh. imbued with the spirit of Diego Maradona. And I know they play your Granada in the round of 32 and it's a terrible draw. And uh, unfortunately, it's completely your own fault. It is Granada's fault. Um, a draw on the last match week on match day six meant that PSV Eindhoven leapfrogged Granada into top spot. Top spot Granada had held the entire way through, having beaten PSV away from home in the first match week. We lost it right at the end. We got pipped into second place. And this is the cost. This is the cost of finishing second in your Europa League group. It's Napoli. It's a disaster of a draw. It really is. But uh, Granada have made a living out of winning games they had no business winning over the last two or three years. So hopefully we can add another one to it. But uh, consider me doubtful. Yeah, I mean, at the start of the year, Sam, you also predicted that Benfica would go deep in the Champions League. And we said that we would give you a break if Benfica went really deep into the Europa League and, you know, maybe won it. They won't win it, obviously, because they are cursed not to win European competitions by the ghost of Bella Gutmann. Um, but they this matchup against Arsenal in the Emirates fly better derby um, <laughs> is absolutely <laughs> exceptional. Um, I think this is going to be really fun. But also with Arsenal in a bit of a shambles at the moment, you, we have no idea what Arsenal are going to turn up in February. But Benfica Benfica have looked sharp enough. You know, they've they've had a, a couple of random blips in the in domestic form where the only game that Boa Vista have won this season in Primeiro was a 3-0 win over Benfica, which is also their only loss. It's all very strange. And 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 but it, it does seem like this is a game where the winner has a fair shout of going on to to go deep in this competition. You know, if you see off an Arsenal, you see off a Benfica, you're looking at a team that that's really got got danger in it. And my outside shout for winning this competition by Leverkusen, Peter Bosch's chaos charges, who have a top of a top of the Bundesliga without losing a game, who sailed through their their group in in the Europa League and are just on course to to to, to be a, a really really good side again this year, having lost their best player in Kai Havertz, have kind of moved away from that and and got on with it and and continue to impress. And I think that. 
with there's a thing on the Spanish football podcast where they say always watch La Sociedad, always watch Betis. And my addition is always watch Leverkusen. If you can, there is always an excuse to watch this team. And it ultimately always comes down to the fact that they score loads of goals. They're open. They're a bit mad. And they're just incredibly fun to watch. And, and I would suggest that whatever you do over the next couple of weeks, over your Christmas breaks, try and watch a little bit of Leverkusen because you will not regret it. Let's put it that way. A couple of... Uh, teams just to add on to the end there that you didn't mention the obvious contenders um, although it will depend on the state of their title charges as to how seriously they take the Europa League Tottenham and AC Milan I mean they're top of their they're top of their respective leagues as we record today so very interested to see how seriously they take the Europa League but Milan fantastic and Jose's Tottenham well we need to see don't we in terms of what happens but those two, I want to just just very quickly throw their their names into the hat already. Absolutely. You didn't you didn't mention them, did you? I did not. And Jens Petterhorger is the truth, yeah, as we've uh, as we've decided. So if he can basically take Milan by himself to the Europa League title, I would not be surprised. Also, just a quick entry into the matchup of the round of thirty-two already. Purvis Estupinian against Enoch Mwepu on the one single flank in Salzburg versus Villarreal. I'd be surprised if there's any grass left. There won't be. They'll be eaten up, eaten up for fun. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Okay, and with the football mostly done, it's time for my favourite part of the show. Dean Jones, floor's yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is, very predictably, Granite Xhaka. We're getting to a point where the Melon of the Week is always from Arsenal, isn't it? Yeah, there must be melons all over the training ground at London Colney because Arsenal are just full of melons. They would win uh, Melons of the Year. if we The Melon d'Or. The Melon d'Or. Maybe we'll do it at the end of the, end of the year, actually. <laughs> so last week it was Bellerin. Now it's Xhaka. It could have been Arteta. It could have been Aubameyang. I mean, where do you stop with this Arsenal team? Um, any... Patreon listeners, we went into this obviously on, on Monday in the fallout of that Arsenal game and what an absolute mess and a shower it was for the Gunners. Um, look, Arsenal were sticking by their manager, but they're not going to stick with Granite Xhaka for very long because he's an absolute liability. What a stupid, stupid thing to get sent off for. Putting your hand on someone's throat, at least throttle them properly, at least send them to hospital with their throttling. You're right, Dino. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? It's such a <laughs> stupid thing to do. Like, you know you're going to get a red card. Putting your arm on someone's neck is just so dumb. Yeah, so yeah. dumb. And there's no argument to be had about it. And you don't need VAR. Like, well, they did. Oh. Well, they did. They, actually did. they, should, they shouldn't. Somehow have. the referee missed it. I'm not sure how he managed to miss that. But um, it's all part of this hard man image that Jacques has managed to cultivate, That's isn't it? That's not a hard thing no, 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 to do, but, is but he, it? No, but he's not, he's not a hard man. He just wants to be a hard man. So every six months, he does this weird eruption where he grabs someone by the neck or he chucks his armband on the floor and basically makes a fool out of himself and really screws his team over. Arteta, at the end of the game, said that this red card was worse than the Pepe one. And he didn't mean it just because it was a, a hand to the neck rather than a headbutt, which is, I guess, slightly less worse. He meant it as in... 45 minutes of absolute crap from Arsenal. Yeah. They come out of the halftime break. They look very good for 10 minutes. There's some zip to their play. They look like they are on the cusp of scoring the first goal of the game. And Xhaka just hits the the big red button. It is so melonish. It could barely be more melonish. So uh, there's melon everywhere. Exploding melon. That's mm. where we are. And with that... <laughs> that's the gibberish alarm. And... Uh... I hear that there's a change of scenery in the gibberish Ooh. rankings. Yeah, Sam didn't have time this week to do any gibberish. He was doing serious work. He was doing very serious work. So he had to pass over the gibberish baton to me because I live a life of nonsense. I said to Sam, don't worry, I've got loads of unrelatable, unremarkable stuff going on in my life. I should have no problem with doing <laughs> a quick gibberish. And I thought about it for three seconds and I had a ranking. So this week i'm going to talk to you guys about my favorite games to play with a 3 year old um, <laughs> <laughs> let's bear in mind um, his age as we uh, consider that there is a limit to my experience of of playing children's games at this point but at number 3 it is hallway football 
this is a good one. We've all played this. Um, the good news is you play it as a kid and then it, eventually it comes back around and you get to play it with your kids. So we've got a reasonable sized hallway where we live. It, it's just long enough. You just want a long streak, don't you? So we've got the front door. That's the goal. And then we've got the whole uh, strip for, for Dylan to just smash the ball as hard as he can, basically. So we've got sponge balls, plastic balls, cushion balls, all different sized balls. And he basically picks a couple and then he goes down the other end of the hallway and we do big kicks, volleys, headers, smash kicks, he calls them, does messy kicks, twinkle toe kicks. It's a weird one. Um, <laughs> he basically does ballet and does twinkle toe kicks. That sounds Sorry. quality, to be fair. That's that he, he is developing into my kind of midfielder, despite your best attempts to turn him into a yeah. fullback. He's very he's very confused at the moment because he he's he's there's this program he likes called the Wiggles, and the girl on it is a ballerina and he really likes her, but he also really likes football, so he's trying to combine the two. Fair play to him. What a combination. Um, the combination, anyway. by the way, is Stefano Sensi. So <laughs> well done. There it is. There it is. Um it's a good game, but the bad element to it is it usually ends in tears because he'll like kick the door frame or he'll like fall into the wall and bash his head and then he's crying. So that's why that game is only at number three. At two, we have a real classic here, rough and tumble. Or as Dylan calls it, smack back whack. Um <laughs> <laughs> No idea. He's got that. he's got a gift for the rhymes already. I'm glad that he's um, he's following in my footsteps daddy, in almost daddy, every sense. Daddy, daddy, we play smack back whack. Um, so this takes place on either our, our bed or on the lounge floor. Um, starts with me doing some sort of wrestling throw on him to get him onto the ground, and then he ends up above me while I'm laying on the ground. He's basically doing bum drops, trying to break my ribs. Thinks it's hilarious. Um, then I'll hit him with a pillow or a soft toy. It just descends from there, really. Anything goes. Um, roll him off the bed. Um, throw him across the room. Whatever. Wherever <laughs> it ends up. Surprisingly, this one doesn't end in tears, actually, as often as you think. But it does end in us both getting extremely hot and extremely thirsty. We end up on the sofa. He has a glass of milk. I'll have a water and we watch a bit of Peppa Pig for a bit. So that, that's lovely stuff. So wholesome. That is wholesome. Here These ones are better than Sam's ones because I don't feel like I'm not like Ugh, all the time. <laughs> Rach, we need a kid. <laughs> <laughs> there, are a lot of downsides. there are downsides to having a kid, but we're only looking at the positives on this show. At number one, and Sam would definitely love this one. At one, the best thing to play with a three-year-old. Marble runs. This is fun. And it what? takes us almost zero energy. Is that why you've picked it out that something I'd like? Zero energy or marbles? No, you would one? like the marble run because you, <laughs> it's like it's it's building this thing. And I think you would enjoy this a lot. So we get up every morning about seven o'clock. And until recently, like you could be end up doing anything, to be honest. He wants to play all these games and a lot of them are very annoying. But marble runs is really cool because you can sit at the kitchen table. You can have a coffee and you can put the TV on. While you build these big, colourful tracks made up of slides, U-turns, windmills, funnels. We've got different entry points to drop the marbles into and they race along the tracks. Um, occasionally there are tears because one gets knocked over and the whole thing falls apart. Um, but generally, this is a really fun way to start the day. I'm happy because I've got a cup of coffee. Uh, I've got the TV on and we've got the little marble run going. You find some nice patterns and slides to go around. Tay's happy. I'm happy. Dylan's happy. Reese is just sat there laughing along because he just do whatever you want at this stage. Only seven months old. Marble runs is a great way, a great um, way to start every day. And I recommend you do it even if you haven't got kids, to be honest. Fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to get myself on Amazon now and we're, uh, we're going to pick really ourselves cheap up. cheap as well. Really I'm going to be like, mum, I'm going get, to get, ring up the old mum and dad and be like, can I have, uh, can I have a marble run for Christmas, well, please? Yeah, exactly that. With that. All late Christmas present. You wonder, what can I ask for that's not too expensive? Get a marble run. Rags FC sponsored marble runs coming to you in the new year. Just be careful if you order it from Amazon, they might deliver it at 7 <laughs> Yeah. Taylor actually said this is one of her worst games because she hates the fact that the marbles obviously end up all over the floor at some point during the hour. And um, she's terrified that Reese starts crawling around and eats marbles and um, leads to. I've eaten a few thing. marbles in my time and never did me any harm. <laughs> so, uh, so here we are. And on that bombshell, we're going to call this a day. And all that's left for me to say thank you very much, Sam Tai. 
Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much, Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Very good. Very good on the gibberish. Enjoyed myself. Um, Sam, I expect you back on form next week to try and challenge that. Thank you very much for listening. My name has been Jack Collins. This has been Branks FC. Please keep sharing with your friends and growing the Rank Squad. We really do appreciate it. Take care, gang. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 